Hey guys, welcome back to This Week on the Old Right. Um, we have today Peter Sweden, um, Steve Franson, and Mark Collat, of course, as always. Uh, oh, and me, I forgot to introduce myself last time, Tara McCarthy. Hopefully you all know who I am, but you may not. Um, so a lot's been going on this week, and uh, we're going to have Mark introduce the first topic we're talking about today. Hello everyone, it's great to have you all back. I know it's a Friday night, it's here in the UK anyway, so I really appreciate you all being here and spending your evening with us. It's a pleasure to have you with us. Um, well, the first thing that we're going to discuss today, and this is obviously something that's been in the news today, it's quite a big thing. It's, well, in fact, rather than me trying to sum it up, I'm just going to read you the headline from the, from the Daily Mail. Naive young jihadis who return from fighting for ISIS in Syria should be allowed space to rejoin British society rather than face jail, says anti-terror watchdog. So basically, what they're saying, this anti-terror watchdog, is that jihadis who went to Syria, went to Iraq, they joined ISIS, they were there to create this horrific caliphate, they've probably been involved in absolutely gruesome murders, uh, potentially been involved in the rape of women and young girls, we know all the horrors that were going on there, they may have been involved in executions, but they've definitely seen or signed up to seeing and being involved in these absolutely horrific things. And they're obviously diametrically opposed to Western civilization, they want to see Western civilization fall, and they pose a huge threat to us. You know, they're coming back from Syria, they're coming back from Iraq, and they have been taught how to use weapons, they've been taught how to make bombs, they have been fully immersed in the ISIS way of life for, you know, probably years now, and they're coming back to the UK. But rather than stopping them, rather than saying, no, 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 basically by doing this, you've rescinded your right to hold a British passport, you're no longer a British citizen, if you want to be out there, be out there, but that's it. Once you've walked through the door in that direction, you're not coming back in. Well, that's exactly the opposite of what they're saying. They're saying now they don't even want to jail them, and the recommendation of the terror watchdog is to actually try and integrate these people back into society and give them space. Now, I don't know what this space is. I, you know, I don't know what that even means. Does this mean these people will be given grants? Will they be treated as heroes? Will they be given, you know, extensive benefits? I mean, we already know that uh, only one in five Muslims in the UK actually work. So essentially, are we, the taxpayer, going to be funding a load of jihadis to come back here to the UK and live comfortably in council houses, living off our benefits whilst they plot their next series of atrocities against Western civilization and the British people who are paying for their upkeep. In my opinion, that looks like exactly what we're going to do. And it comes on the same day when people are outraged over Donald Trump talking about radical Islam and the threat that as posed to Britain and the fact it affects our crime rate. What are your thoughts on this, Peter? Because I know that you're obviously from Sweden. You call yourself Peter Sweden, so it's pretty obvious. But the point is, in Sweden, there was also an MP who called those who went to fight for ISIS and returning to Sweden. She actually called them victims. Are you aware of that? 
Yes, I remember there was uh, something about that. So there's, so, there's been so much about that going on in Sweden. I mean, uh, this is not something new in Sweden. In Sweden, I've been doing this for a little while, um, integrating these poor terrorists who have been joining Syria, uh, joining to fight ISIS in Syria, and then now, and I come back to Sweden, and they are they have to help them integrate back into society. They're actually offering them. They're already doing this in Sweden. They're actually offering them. Uh, Jobs, uh, government uh, subsidized jobs. Um, they're getting, they're getting Swedish li uh, driving licenses so they can drive cars. They, they get benefits and everything. And these are people that are literally just returned from uh, fighting in Syria, and uh, they also get, yeah, obviously they get all the free medical care that they need. So, so basically, they can just go down to Syria, fight there, get injured, come back to Sweden, and get free medical care and so on and free housing, free jobs, get back into the site and then I could just go and continue. Sweden has just basically been like a kind of a hospital for them, uh, if you understand what I mean. Um, yeah, so it's not something new. It's it's not anything new in Sweden. It's been going on for a while. It seems like the UK is now catching up. Well, I just want to throw in my two cents. I'm Stephen Franson, by the way. You can catch me on Twitter. Causing trouble. I'm just looking to trigger leftists. And I'm playing with this idea, Peter, you've been talking about, and this is not what I wanted to bring up, but Peter, you've been talking about good optics. So I'm looking at my Twitter usage and going, you know, I want to take this to the next level. So I, I've been so used to shit posting, but now I'm strategic posting. So we'll see a shift in things, and hopefully that'll help me get more of a foothold in the culture war because I want to make a difference. Because if you read this article, you know, jihadis, naive jihadis should return from fighting for ISIS in Syria so they can be allowed space to rejoin British society. You start reading into this, and it says here, around half of the estimated 850 UK citizens who joined ISIS in the Middle East have since returned, according to official figures. So right there, you've got at least 400 ISIS fighters, grizzled veteran ISIS fighters hanging around in the UK. And I'll talk a little bit about psychology because it's a bit of my wheelhouse. Psychology, particularly academic psychology, is totally infiltrated with Marxism. You, If you look at the Frankfurt School intellectuals and the New York intellectuals and what they basically did to rewrite psychiatry, to rewrite the human sciences, the softer sciences, they really sought to enact this, this leveling force, this equalizing force, so we used to have in the West a mentality that there was an in-group and there was an out-group. It was us, the civilized people, and then the godless heathens, basically. And now we have this situation with multiculturalism where we're supposed to recognize all these godless heathens as part of our in-group. So these, after all, these are UK citizens, and they're our people, and we ought not to look back in anger because we're all the same and we're all equal. And when you condition people to sort of lose their amygdala response and forget that there's an outgroup, but there really are godless heathens and barbarians out there at the gates and they want to kill you, if you can sort of pacify them, get them to not recognize that, hey, there's an in-group and then there's an outgroup, you're going to have this situation where these jihadi fighters are getting subsidized. So this guy, this guy, what's his name? He's, he's just a real piece of work. Max Hill. I mean, look at him. He's a communist. I just look at him. He's a traitor to the UK. And, uh, you know, he can say what he wants about being a, a terror watchdog, but all he's really doing is using psychology to try to pacify the UK people so that they'll accept the presence of jihadis in their presence.
So. Well, I've been reading this book, but I heard someone recommend, uh, I think it's called Domestication or something like that, uh, Domesticated. I'm never very good at remembering the titles of books, not something I pay a lot of attention to. Um, but it basically describes a method by which you can domesticate animals, you know, and of course humans are animals, so these rules also apply to us. And the way that they, for example, domesticated foxes to turn them into uh domestic foxes that could be used like pets um, is over a series of generations they stuck the hand in the cage if the fox attacked the hand the gloved hand or shied away from it scared aka fight or flight response um, they then they didn't breed those foxes that, that reacted in that way but if the fox you know was uh, curious and interested in the hand and sniffed it and was you know friendly and not aggressive they bred those foxes and over a few generations they got a set of foxes interestingly the color of the fur changed they went from a dark gray to sometimes white um sometimes mottled um so, sometimes varying colors if i remember correctly different shades of red and white and brown uh, which is very interesting if you notice northern europeans they have these hair colors that those foxes um had as they became domesticated completely separate from you know it wasn't as though they were trying to breed foxes with a different color hair it's just that these hair colors arose um as they domesticated them so, you know, long story short, it does appear that we've gone through a process over the past couple of thousand years of domestication. All of our rapists and murderers were hung, and that is a eugenic process where they're taken out of the gene pool, they can't breed anymore because they're dead. And the genes that cause those people to, to be aggressive or to be rapey or to be murderous um just don't manifest in our gene pool anymore because they were taken out through process of um through eugenic process and alternative hypothesis talks about this in one of his videos and apparently that was quite a substantial eugenic process obviously done unknowingly i suppose over the years um in western countries and so we've done this to our population we've turned ourselves into the the domestic foxes basically we don't um we don't quickly feel aggression we don't fear uh possible threats you know we're not xenophobic when it comes to hands being stuck in our cages instead we purely express curiosity <laughs> and uh you can tell that they're even telling us to be curious and open-minded and tolerant you know and that's exactly what those domestic foxes um were but you know, the end result for those domestic foxes is that they got turned into hats and coats. Because that is the reason that, that was the primary reason they were breeding domestic foxes, was so that they could cage them and easily handle them so that they could, um, you know, turn them into clothing. So what is to come of us, the domesticated Western man? Well, unfortunately, if we don't reconnect with, uh, uh, feelings of xenophobia, fear of the unknown, fear of the outsiders, fear of people who could possibly harm us, it appears that we are simply uh, going to die one one way or the other um, as a result of that. So I don't know, that's kind of an interesting theory. 
you could buy into it or not, but it certainly appears to be a plausible one to me, slightly off topic. <laughs> That's what it brought up in my mind, so. There's this brilliant video that Stefan Manu made called The Story of Your Enslavement. I'm not sure if he lays it out in that video, but it's worth watching anyhow. He talks about there are basically human tax farmers that we're, we all sort of live on tax farms where resources are withdrawn from us. And there are farmers that keep us penned in. And something I think about, you know, and this is a little off topic too, but Tara, you, you just sort of brought up domestication and, and it brought it to my mind is that, you know, a lot of this male aggressiveness that was so vaunted in Western society, we used to have boys schools. I mean, it's still kind of there, but uh, legalese and PC culture has really made its way into all facets of our society. But we used to have boys schools where the boys would wrestle and they would box and they would hunt and they were really the waspy sort of upper class that ran our societies and we don't we don't have that anymore because of multiculturalism because of you know gender inclusion and all this crazy nonsense and just to, to toss in psychiatry there we have a situation where people are putting themselves on these drugs that just absolutely pacify them you were talking about madness and rapey tendencies and violent tendencies and these sorts of things. And, and we look at this and we don't try to understand if there's any social utility to it. We just say, we sort of judge it through this Marxist psychology lens and go, well, that's anger. And anger is bad. And we can't use that in our, in our you know, love is everything. We're all people, we're all citizens of the world together. We can't use that in our future vision of society. So we're gonna put our young men on psychiatric drugs. And we actually, we need these young men. A lot of the young men that are attracted to the alt-right are, you know, conventional society would label them dysfunctional. And a lot of people in the, in the alt-right and in the new right, they go, oh, well, these guys aren't sort of gay. They aren't passive. They aren't, they aren't tender. We, they're bad. They're, they're racist. And there's not any sort of understanding or any receptivity toward anger in our young men. And if we don't take advantage of this, if we don't use this, if we don't bridle this somehow and sort of channel it into something productive so we can reclaim our society, we really will be, we'll be prey to our tax farmers, just to tie it in with what you were saying, Tara. I'm pleased that Tara started talking about, about eugenics, actually. It's, it's quite an interesting point. And the way they obviously domesticated animals, you can do the same with humans. You can you can breed certain traits in human beings as you can with any creature. But one thing we must never forget is Europe had two absolutely fratricidal brothers wars. And those wars killed the best of two generations or more than two generations of our people. You look at World War One. The people who went over the top were the bravest, the most courageous, the most community-minded. They were the ones who were at the forefront of what they thought was defending their people. They went over the top and were cut down by machine gun fire, and they didn't breed. They didn't have children. And all those wonderful genetics, all those traits, all that strength, all that courage, and all that bravery was lost. And then we went on to repeat that again in 1939 and in 1939 
although the body count was less than the First World War, the First World War was an unimaginable horror. And I think, I think most people would agree that trench warfare was possibly the worst um, and most bloody form of combat the world had ever known. The living conditions were horrific. The combat conditions were horrific. Um, the advent of gas, I mean, trench knives were three or four sided knives, which literally the wounds were so bad they couldn't be sewn up. I mean, it's horrific. But at the end of the Second World War, there was literally the planned destruction of the German people. There was the firebombing from the Allies, and then there was the horrific rape and mass executions from the Soviet side. And there was also tens, if not hundreds of thousands of Germans perished in allied and Soviet concentration camps. And you look at the wealth of good genetics that were lost there right from the center, the heart of Europe. And it's no wonder that had a massive, massive effect. And the people that did survive, well, a lot of those wouldn't have been the fighters, a lot of those people who didn't go to war, you know, disproportionately conscientious objectors would have survived and people who weren't as brave and often the bravest were the ones that volunteered for the most dangerous missions, were the ones who went over the top first, were the ones that put their neck on the line. And when you lose that genetics, you never get it back again. Somebody in the chat just mentioned Hellstorm. I really recommend anyone watches that. It's absolutely Absolutely heart-wrenching. I mean, you know, I, I'm not going to make any uh, apologies for saying I've watched The Greatest Story Never Told and watched Hellstorm. Both of them very moving documentaries that I recommend. You know, I'm not telling anyone what to believe. I'm not pushing anything upon anyone. Watch it yourself and make up your mind. But the European people have been degraded. But the thing you have to remember, and there's a motto behind all this, or a moral, should I say, of this story, not a motto, a moral of this story, is both of those wars were not fought in the interests of the European people. Both of those wars were brought about thanks to the internationalist clique. The insidious globalists brought those wars around so they could redraw boundaries all over Europe, make lots of money, and destroy their most hated enemy, which is us, the indigenous people of Europe. I was just going to say that before you started talking, I was going to say quite a similar thing to what you said there regarding the world wars. Uh, I think, uh, as you said, the world wars were uh, really bad, really bad for really bad for the world. I mean, you had from both sides, both from the Allied side and from the German side, you had the best, the bravest people uh, that were killed off uh, in both First World War and Second World War. So you lost uh, the best people on both sides. That's. Uh, I was just going to say, but you said the same. You said you said the same thing, but you came before me there. <laughs> Something I wanted to add really briefly, and someone mentioned it in the chat here. One of our viewers is that male testosterone since I believe the eighties, uh, the early eighties or something like this, has dropped one percent a year, uh, and male fertility has dropped year after year in the West. I think fake. I think fake gold is that it had. Uh, Hall of the in 50 years or something. Wow, it's halved in 50 years. I mean, this is this is absolutely intolerable. You know, I wanted to just speak really briefly about Christopher Cantwell. Is it, people look at Christopher Cantwell, and uh, you know, when I talk about that toxic masculinity or a man that has anger, and we we look at the man who has anger and go, oh, he's racist, 
you know, you can't like be holding hands with Michael Jackson and like, you know, singing like it doesn't matter what color you are. And, you know, Christopher Cantwell can't fit in with that. But if you look at someone like Christopher Cantwell, is a guy who looked at his testosterone levels and went, hmm, they're too low. They're too low and I'm not going to accept this slow degradation of my society. I'm going to lift weights. I'm going to supplement with testosterone. I'm going to see what happens. Now we can we can talk about his legal troubles and all that, but it's just to say that guys like him are turned into a, a boogeyman because people can't sort of wake up from their environments sort of going more and more miserable, degrading, degrading, degrading. Nobody can sort of wake up from that and go, okay, if testosterone is, is dropping year after year, if fertility is dropping year after year, ought I not to bump those up? Ought I not to supplement and get those going higher? And I'll tell you, I've done that, and I would recommend it to anybody that's watching this show. Supplement your testosterone. Take some T-boosters. Do some leg workouts, as someone was saying in the chat. Take some fertility aids. Just see what happens. Experiment. Empathize with your body. See how your attitude about the world around you starts to change. You might notice some interesting things. And I'll say, I found I had a lot more in common with Christopher Cantwell in terms of his expressiveness, in terms of his masculinity, his, his assertiveness, than I did uh, you know, before I started supplementing the way that I did. So check it out, guys. I mean, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying go go do crimes, but try to get your body right. If our environment's dropping down, try to raise your body up. Yeah, I'd just point out there that um, you can actually see your doctor for, um, what do they call it, testosterone replacement therapy or something like that. So in the same way that women's ho hormones change as they age and sometimes they might want to take hormone replacement therapy, same thing is available for men. It's just not so well known, I think. And if your testosterone is below normal, you know, maybe you should go and talk to your doctor and speak to someone who specializes in, in hormones, an endocrinologist, and uh, they can help get your hormones back into balance in a healthy way. I don't, I've, I've really, I have looked at these um, reports and studies and things saying that men's testosterone is dropping so rapidly and it's it's crazy it's like 20 percent in 20 years it's literally like that bad and this is on a national level i mean it, you can only imagine how this changes people's behavior i mean we already know that men with greater upper body strength are more right wing so it's not surprising that these uh low test males you know they they tend to be uh less capable and less uh motivated to protect their people in their country we don't know what's causing it that's the weirdest thing um but moving on from that topic uh another topic that i just remembered um i was seeing this morning is daily mails reporting that um there are actually new there's a new finding but there are teeth found from about 10 million years ago in europe suggesting that perhaps europe could be the cradle of humanity because these teeth are twice as old as both of the oldest African skeletons uh, in Africa, found in Africa. So this is crazy uh, because the conventional story is that we've only been in like Western Europe for 10,000 years. And now we're basically saying that they found 10 million year old teeth. 
So this is a new finding, so who knows what will come of it. But I just want to kind of push home to people that conventional science when it comes to anthropology and the history of the world is very up in the air and none of these theories like the out of Africa theory etc are set in stone it's literally just the you know consensus of a load of left-wing scientists so make of it what you will well I just wanted to go back to the testosterone thing quickly I know we changed this subject but one thing I really just wanted to add is to me you can't get manhood out of a bottle there's no super male vitality pill like paul joseph watson and alex jones say there's nothing that can fix you other than you get yourself to the gym get yourself lifting get yourself out on your mountain bike get out running and yeah when i say get out running you know those mornings when it's cold and it's wet and it's raining and you're thinking oh shall i sit in bed no you get out running you know those cold nights where you're thinking should I just stay in and watch, uh, you know, the, a Walking Dead marathon? No, no. You get to the gym and you lift like a man. That's what makes you a man. And it's what makes you feel like a man. Because when you've done that, you will raise your self-worth. And believe me, I go to the gym three, four times a week. I do a 10K run every Sunday. And it makes me feel fantastic. And it raises my testosterone. It makes me... A better person and it makes me more confident as well because I'm fit and I'm healthy you know and you need to do all of those things and you need to also recognize that our enemies are pushing femininity the feminization of the male upon us they want our little boys not being adventurers explorers warriors they don't want them making tree houses swinging from rope swings going out on their bike they want them wrapped up in cotton wool sat watching crap on tv and if you want to be a real man you've got to reject that and you've got to be a real man and you've got to embody the things that make you a real man now i'm not saying everyone has to be the same kind of fitness you don't all have to be the golden one i mean he's a big guy i'm not saying you shouldn't be that if that's what you want to be i'm not like that i'm a guy that does um, hardcore assault courses i do you know mountain biking through the forest and i also lift weight but as long as you're embracing some kind of fitness and physical activity you will improve your testosterone levels and you will become more of a man. And, and that's important because we need to embrace our gender roles. And if we shouldn't be embracing our gender roles, I'll ask you this, why would the left be telling us not to embrace them? The left are saying don't embrace gender roles because they're good for us, they're natural, and they're what we need. I'm beginning, you talk about this gym all the time, Mark. I'm beginning to feel a little bit like a cock here. I don't go to gym at all. I haven't gone for like, yeah, I don't know, like two, what was last time? It was like, yeah, yeah, three years ago, I think, last time I went to gym. I injured myself quite, I did, I did used to go to gym like three times a week, but um, I injured myself quite badly, so I had to stop. Uh, but since then, I, I mean, like my arms are like super thin. Uh, like I have like no upper body strength at all, but I do have very strong legs. My legs are really strong, uh, so, um, and I don't even have to go to gym. To, I mean, my legs are just naturally super strong. I mean, uh, so that's uh, that's me. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe I should start going to gym again now that uh, I'm not uh, injured anymore. <laughs> well, it's a great idea. And and to anybody watching, you can start small. I mean, you really can. Just so long as you start. 
and and you should if you just keep at it and you're just persistent you'll go bigger and you'll go bigger and it's a lot of fun man it's a lot of fun what was it you know something people could ask themselves when was the last time you sprinted like really full out sprinted it does something to your mind it does something to you know it's this act of explosiveness it does something to you psychologically it does something to your personality it awakens something very interesting or to lift a, a big weight that you really don't know if you're going to be able to lift it it does something to your psychology it does something to your mindset so i would definitely recommend that to anybody that's watching do this stuff you don't even have to go big time just start small push your limits and you'll find that it does things to you psychologically it'll it'll better your life it'll attract women to you it'll make you make more money you'll make more friends you, you know money will start finding its way to you all sorts of good stuff so because actually, actually, I can just sorry, I can just uh, when I started go when I started doing gym, like uh, I started like four years ago, or something like that. It was actually around that time I started getting a bit red pilled as well, but getting more to the right. So I don't know if that's connected at all, but uh, just a thought out there. Well, I was going to say, just follow up on something that you don't have to lift big. You know, you don't have to be the guy at the gym who's got like the forty kg dumbbells doing uh, curls with them. When you go to the gym, make sure you pick up a weight that's the right weight for you. Do your exercises properly. Drink your protein. Eat your chicken. Oh, my God. Stephen Franson is going to absolutely disgrace us all here. Well, maybe not me. Definitely you, though, Peter. Um, and basically, do what's right for you, you know, and build up over time. Build up over time. I didn't get good at the gym overnight it took years years of going i mean i've been and done chest day already today before i did this show but it's important that you do it you do it regularly and it becomes part of your routine but this takes us nicely on to something tara's just posted up a question advice for raising young males to embrace their gender roles in a world that hates the traditional male gender role well firstly if you're living in a world full of sheep do you want to be one of the sheep moving with the herd? Or, you, or do you want to be the lion that everyone's looking at thinking, he's not one of us, he's better than us? That's the first point. Being a traditional male that embraces their gender role, being a man is like being a lion. It's like being a lion amongst these cooked sheep. And believe me, women like it, other men will respect you for it, and you'll have the confidence to achieve what you want to achieve. And if you want, your son, I talked about this the other, on Wednesday a little bit actually, about my friends who don't let their children watch TV. Don't let your children watch TV. Up until the age of four, why does your kid need a TV? What, what are they going to be watching? Fat, weird Teletubbies roll down a hill, slopping custard on each other. What kind of madness is that? You don't want your kids watching that rubbish. You know, one thing I will say, when I was a kid, we watched Transformers and He-Man, you know, and then we grew up to watch 80s action films with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Sylvester Stallone. You know, that was manly. We grew up like, you know, that's what it's all about. And that's what you want to bring your kids up on. You know, if you're a dad or if you've got a, you know, you've got a son, take him out into the woods, help him build a tree house, build a rope swing, take him biking, do manly things and bond with your son in a traditional way. But what you don't do, never do, is leave your children in front of the TV as an unpaid babysitter. Because believe me, that is poison.
Well, I wanted to jump in with something as well that this is something I'm starting to learn as I I've lifted weights regularly since I was 15 and I really didn't understand the value of testosterone and embracing as as Tara prompted us these traditional male gender roles I didn't really understand the value of that until about three years ago and some of you guys that are watching you may be familiar with J with Joe Rogan and Joe Rogan has access to all sorts of men that are making a lot of money in the West particularly in the United States and if you start to look at them you start to analyze them a little bit psych psychologically you start to recognize that what it takes to be a successful man in the West is to be alpha is to be lifting weights is to embrace these traditional male gender roles and that actually the psychology that's sold to us through the public schools and through the television is it's all very low grade there's almost like a layer of society and you wouldn't know it unless you were like a multimillionaire someone that could sort of jump around and you know rub shoulders with the Joe Rogan class of people or the people that are in his sort of world you wouldn't really know it but actually there's there's almost like a psychological blanket that that a lot of us that are that come from lower middle class and haven't been raised you know aristocrat aristocratically and and you know in this wasp wasp sort of way there's this blanket of psychology that is all super Marxist and it's all, you know, oh, be really sensitive and don't be a racist and who, you know, like keep your testosterone low because it's scary. Don't be angry. It's scary. But actually, when you look at the really successful man, Donald Trump, a DECA billionaire, guys made 10, 11 billion dollars. He's, he's one of the most alpha dudes alive. And so the guys that are really pulling the strings more in business. And that have real power and influence they're actually really alpha some of them are starting to write advice books and i'm really glad for that but don't let yourself be fooled into thinking that this muggle world that the tax farmers that control the world want to keep us in is actually reality there are people that burst through and they've made they've been very well compensated for their efforts so when we talk about traditional male roles keep this in mind keep your ambition in mind and break through because this isn't what it's like for everyone you make enough coin, you make enough cheese, you get your body right, you're going to break through it and you're going to be really happy. You know, I am all for the uh, changes that we can make in our own individual lives, of course. Um, however, I can't help but wonder, you know, how much genes and epigenetics play into this. And unfortunately, it's not something that we really know as much about as I'd like us to know about. Um, but I hear, you know, I've hear people like Charles Murray, I don't know if you'd be following with Steve, I hear them say like life outcomes are largely, you know, not even affected by parenting and everything like this. So um, that's something that I'm really curious about. Have you been looking into that, Steve? Only the, only the slightest bit I've heard that, uh, that the epigenetic sort of effect of raising your children really well uh, or you know things that have to do with the environment really improving the environment that the the effect that this has is temporary and i figure well okay let's say it's temporary maybe it lasts a generation or two for me it's still worth the effort to, from, to me like i have energy and i can do it so if if i raise my children well or if i get really alpha and i, I said joe rogan's name a few times so if i get really joe rogan and that helps my kids a little bit then maybe they'll retain that and maybe they'll do that 
and let's see let's see how many generations that can be passed on and we'll see how temporary it is because the choice to activate epigenetics you know do this epigenetic sort of lifestyle thing that choice can be had generation after generation after generation even if the effects are temporary say my grandchildren give up and and they become muslim jihadis you know in some crazy world it's like well the choice still exists so so i think some of this stuff is interesting but i, I do still think we have choice and we can override that to some degree Look, I think you. I think we all can definitely override that. Look, it doesn't matter. All this stuff, epigenetics, whatever. The, the fact of the matter is, whatever you're gifted with at birth, whether it's a good hand or a bad hand, to a large degree, how you play that hand is up to you. And it's the skill of playing your hand well that is what will see you through in life. And you may not have been given the best hand. But if you work to the best of your ability and you give it your all, at least you've done that. At least you know that you pushed your limits. And believe me, there's been times in my life when I've thought I can absolutely never go any further than this. I remember doing a bike ride recently with my friend Steve. Um, not this Steve, another Steve. And we were going around the forest and it was a lovely day and we were like, we're smashing our best time here. And then it started raining. And when I say raining, I mean like torrential rain. It was like when we were going uphill, it was like going up through a little stream coming back down against us. We were soaked to the bone. In fact, there's a picture to prove this. There's a picture on my Instagram with me covered from head to toe in mud, soaked to the bone. So you can literally see my clothes are stuck to me. I'm that wet, holding my bike above my head. And believe me, at the end of that, I thought we'll never get around this. But you kept pushing, you get pushing. Your, your lungs are on fire, your heart is pounding, your legs are heavy because they're so full of lactic acid. And as you're getting there, you're thinking, just a couple more miles, just a couple more miles. Just a, and then when you finally cross that finish line, believe me, that's the best feeling you can ever have. And you've pushed your limits, you've pushed your boundaries. You've done what a machine can never do. You see a machine or a piece of electronics, that has set boundaries. And if you go beyond this, it'll break. The human body's different. We have this capacity from within, especially us Europeans. Our European soul allows us to push forward and achieve so much more. And believe me, the pioneers, the explorers, the people who tamed this savage world, they were all European. That is within you. Have that self-belief and go out and be the best you can. And trust me, when you're the guy that did the 21 miles in the pouring rain, you feel on top of the world. But if you're that guy who gets halfway around and says, you know what, let's take the fire road out and cut this short and go and sit in the pub. Yeah, you'll feel like a dog the next day. And believe me, I'm always the one to finish. And it's not that my body is some mighty temple. It's my willpower that pushes me through. And believe me, I'm going to throw this out here tonight. But any of you that want to join me on one of these bike rides with me and my friends, you're more than welcome. We will take you. We will train you. We will help you. I'm doing an assault course this weekend. Next year, who wants to do that assault course with me? Come with me. 10K assault course through the woods. Let's do it. Oh, uh, Peter, you want to jump in? Go ahead, jump in. 
Yes, I just want to say Mark challenged uh, to bike ride there. Well, I think Mark should come to Norway instead and do a skiing challenge. Uh, you should see Norwegians. They're out doing this um, uh, skis where they go, they go like kilometers and kilometers. It's, and, and they just push themselves like crazy. Uh, and Norwegians are especially known for this. You see them on t those guys on TV, they're just going until they literally collapse and they have like drool. They're just like drooling at their mouths. So they're really pushing themselves. So that's, you should try that. Well, something I wanted to throw in. Hey, if I'm ever in Norway, I'll come. I'll come ski with you guys. So, you just cue me in. If I'm ever in the UK, I'll come cycling with you, Mark. So, something I wanted to add with genetics, young men out there, because this look, this show is called this week on the alt right. So, a lot of young, hungry, angry young men are here, and I would just say, think about genetics. If, if what Charles Murray is saying that life outcomes are largely genetic, I think, Tara, I, I hope I'm understanding you right there. Try to get the best genetics you possibly can. Try to get the best woman you possibly can. What is your ideal? Right? I, I think of this milky white skin, beautiful, tall, statuesque woman with curves, child-rearing hips. She's got intelligence. She's gentle she's sweet oh my gosh what do we, that's actually my wife i'm just describing my wife but i i came to this idea about 10 years ago and i want to share it with you guys that if you can try to get the best genetics to mate with the genetics that you possibly can just go all the way because i was saying last week or last last uh show i was saying hey all the people from the third world all the men they're groping all the white women they want to try to get these genetics because they consider these genetics to be prime genetics well, let's be assertive and let's do that ourselves. Let's try to mate with the best women that we can. Let's mate for intelligence. Let's mate for hardiness. Let's mate for whatever we term the conditions to require from us. So if we can raise ourselves up, Mark, like you've been talking about, and we can find really quality women, then we're going to move our civilization forward. It's kind of like, it's like positive eugenics. It's eugenics by association. Are you suggesting we should start to introduce IQ tests before we marry women? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> certainly wouldn't hurt. It certainly wouldn't hurt. Does that go for men too as well? Yeah, of course. I mean, your the parents' uh, intelligence levels are going to be reflected in the children. It's eighty percent genetic. I, there's an actual formula. I can't remember off the top of my head, but you can calculate the average. IQ of the offspring of parents if you know what what the average intelligence of their race is and the average intelligence of the parents. There is always deviation in these things though. I mean, you know, obviously if you there are geniuses born to parents who are, you know, average, that's the thing with genetics. You can throw up other things, but obviously you want to choose the best partner. You know, I'd say when you're looking for a partner, you want to look for somebody who embodies um, being a good mother. If you pick somebody who's like a beast, if you pick somebody who's like mentally unwell, if you pick somebody who's got four different kids by four different men, you can see that person is not going to be someone who is really going to you know, embody what you want. If they pass on those traits to your child, would you look at your child and say, I want my child to 
be, you know, some obese, mentally unwell woman who sleeps around. No, choose a woman that embodies the things that you'd want to see in your children. That's a really important thing. You know, what you've got to remember is women and men choose um, traits based on different things. Women tend to choose men who are providers, who can look after them, who can protect them, who can be, you know, a teacher, a lover, but also protect and bring up their children and provide for the family unit. The woman is looking for a provider and a protector. The man is looking for something different. He isn't looking for a woman that goes out and earns money. He's looking for a woman who is physically fit, healthy, usually a little bit younger than him, and very attractive. He's looking for something that will breed good quality, good-looking children. And that has always been the sort of playoff between men and women. You know, women look for somebody who's a protector. Men look for somebody who's going to birth healthy children. And between the two of them, that's always been how things were. And that, that's how we evolved to be. And if you're going against that, if you're um, moving towards picking an unhealthy partner, if you're picking somebody who is mentally unable to look after your children, that's a bad sign from day one. Okay, someone just gave me a question, so slightly moving topic. Um, they said, and I have, I do uh, periodically speak about this because people love to bring it up. The fact that I'm like slightly mixed race. I wouldn't say that I'm like I'm not fifty fifty or anything. I'm mainly European, so I don't have a big identity crisis. Um, they said, what do you think about what they are saying about you being mixed race yourself? So, the way I see it basically, is that the things we're talking about are their truths, their principles, you know, the facts, and none of those things change um, based on my own personal uh, DNA. So that's how I see it. We can talk about these topics. Even if I was a black person, I could talk about these topics. In fact, people like Tree of Logic, she's a black woman, but you'll find she says just about exactly the same things we're saying on this show. Uh, so your DNA does not prevent you from, you know, saying certain things or valuing certain things or, um, you know, uh, talking about certain ideas, etc. And it doesn't necessarily inform your perspective. So that's all I have to say on that topic, really. Yes, there are a lot of mixed race people like uh, Roaming Millennial who are permanently in the alt-light category because obviously <clears throat> it's very difficult to, you know, it's very difficult to talk about alt-right topics if you yourself are mixed race, but I'm autistic enough to overlook that. So uh, if you guys don't mind, maybe we can um, talk about what happened to Richard Spencer uh, in Florida this week. Maybe Mark can introduce us to that. Well, as we all know, Richard Spencer was due to give a speech on college campus and yet again the tolerant left the uh, the ones who are always for free speech for any kind of minority or any debased degenerate the ones who call for free speech for these and uh, rights for these isis terrorists who are returning to the west they were very quick to shout him down shut him down and yet again we've seen how 
this place, which is meant to be a place of knowledge, a place of higher education, it is meant to be a place where different ideas are bounced around. I mean, that's what university is about. Universities aren't meant to be safe spaces. They're meant to be places where controversial ideas can be discussed, can be debated. They're meant to be the places where the boundaries of intelligence, the boundaries of political and social sort of you know, spheres can be pushed. These are places where people should be able to discuss anything in a rational and logical fashion and walk away with something new to think about. But the left have captured these institutions. The left have done the long walk through the institutions and taken over these educational institutions. And now you can see the fruits of that that no one can speak in these places unless they subscribe to the current politically correct dogma, which is obviously one of far-left egalitarianism. And if you go there and you try to discuss anything else, look what happens. You literally have, you know, in some cases, riots on these campuses. And this is what leftist tolerance is. Leftist tolerance can be summed up by the fact they are only tolerant of anything that is debased, degenerate, or poses a threat to Western society. They are never tolerant of anything that isn't on their side of the fence. And believe me, you could say to me, are you tolerant, Mark? Would, would you tolerate these people? Well, I don't tolerate their ideas. I actively fight against them. But if I was invited to a debate with these people, I would happily sit in the same room as them I would happily talk to them. I would happily engage them. And the reason I'd happily engage them is because I know that my views, I know that my opinions and the facts that back up my opinions would slay these people and stop them in their tracks. And one thing you can say about the left is one of the reasons they hate us speaking is because they hate having the facts shone in their face. And when you show facts to the leftists, it's like shining sunlight on a vampire. And that's why they hate us and they hate the fact so much. Yes, I, I watched uh, almost all of uh, Spencer's speech uh, yesterday uh, from the university. And I think I, think I want to come, come at this from the optics angle, <laughs> as I usually do. Um, I think this was quite good optics, to be honest, uh, for the most part, especially from Spencer's side and uh, Eli mostly and those guys. Um, it was good optics. They had all of these leftists uh, standing up and just shouting like they were, I don't know, like they had, um, you know, you know, these old um, vinyl, vinyl plates uh, that they used to play back in the 50s and 60s. It sounded like uh, he had, um, it just sounded like they had hitched up on a, like a, on a crack there, so it's just, just like on repeat, 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 just saying the same stupid thing over and over. And they were the ones that looked like the stupid guys, uh, the leftists. Um, they actually that actually went pretty good optics for the for the for the right there. The only bad optics they had was they didn't have enough of the kind of their guys there in the audience. It was a bit empty at the front, which looked like yeah, this might not have. You know, from an optical perspective, you want to have it filled up with your guys and have all of the seats filled so it looks popular. But, uh, you know, I, I know I, I looked at the, the Q&A, there was even this guy who said he came there, just a neutral guy, just to see what was going on. Um, 
he had heard all of the bad, bad press uh, from about Richard Spencer. Uh, and he found out that uh, he actually thought Richard Spencer was quite reasonable. And it was these leftists who were just standing up and shouting that uh, seemed stupid. Uh, so optics-wise, I think Richard Spencer did a good job. I saw there was this uh, stupid guy outside who had like a t-shirt, like four swastikas or something, and then like tattoos. And it looked like an absolute retard. I mean, he had these, um, uh, what do you call it, suspenders. <laughs> he had like a t-shirt with four swastikas on suspenders and like shaved head and had like a loads of tattoos. I mean, it looked like your absolute typical uh, um, Hollywood neo-Nazi, uh, probably a fed or something. I mean, he was, he, he was some, definitely some suspicious, suspicious with that guy. And look at all the media, what they did. You know, you have all the English-speaking media, they, they use pictures of that guy with his four swastikas on his t-shirt. They use that as the headline photo of the Richard Spencer event. I mean, how dishonest is that? Um, I mean, they couldn't do anything about him. I mean, literally anyone can just turn up uh, like that and just act like a retard. Um, but the, the media, I mean, you know, how do you combat that when you have people, because this was a, that was just outside, it, it had nothing to do with, um, with the alt-right guys at all. Uh, so I don't know how he could have stopped him, I don't think he could. Uh, but uh, the media obviously jumped on it to try and use him as bad optics. Um, well, he had a he had like a rose tattoo on his arm. Mm. And people yeah. were saying, on 4chan, I think they were saying that, that these rose tattoos are associated with leftist movements and socialist you know, movements. You, you know the Socialist Party in Sweden has a rose as its logo. Right. So that's true. The rose is a symbol for socialism. And at this point, like these ideas are pretty high level. I mean, these these race realism is actually a very sort of difficult set of ideas to comprehend. It takes a bit. You know, if it was easy as selling toothpaste or something, people wouldn't get so triggered about it. It's actually sort of difficult. And so the, the men that are attracted to these ideas are intelligent, is what I'm trying to get across here. Most of the time, they're intelligent. So if you put across, as has been put across lately, in these circles that talk about race realism, that look, optics matter, and you can't be just showing up LARPing like a Nazi, then it's it's sort of interesting to think, well, this guy is either really stupid, and he shut up all by himself, or B, he's a fed plant, because everybody sort of knows that's into race realism not to show up dressed up like a Nazi, and that you sort of respect these things, and you there's a sort of decorum to be following. And if you have the ability to to uh, understand race realist positions, then you have the ability to have the wherewithal to respect decorum in intellectual circles. So this guy was a total phony. I'm not buying his presence at this rally for a minute. I think he was either fed or he was some saboteur. But I don't think he really understands the arguments that Richard Spencer puts forward. I, pro I probably would guess it's probably some kind of ADL or SPLC plant or something. That's my best guess. I would doubt that the government would go out uh, with uh, with plants like that. It's probably more likely the leftist groups. Did any of you guys um, see the story showing that after um, after the event, like three of the guys who were there supporting Richard um, in some capacity? one of them um basically ended up pulling a gun on someone who hit his car so and they're now all three of them in prison 
with three million bail. Did any of you see that story? I didn't see that story, but um, I think it's a difficult one. I mean, obviously, if people start hitting your car, that's bad. But once you start, I don't know what the law is on concealed carry or open carry in that state. But one thing I would say, everyone does have the right to self-defense. But it's just really, for me, it's a common sense thing to sort of balance self-defense with doing something that will bring disgrace on the movement or potentially get you in jail for a long period of time. And um, in the case of pulling firearms on people or doing things like that, you know, as I said, if somebody breaks into your home with the, you know, the intention of killing you, then obviously that would be a, a measured response. If somebody kicks, you know, the back end of your car or something, I think, you know, you have to give a measured response to that. If you're, if you are somebody who is out there and you are a representative of the, of the movement, you have to think how your actions will impact on the movement. We have a, we have a huge responsibility to the group. We are by our nature, you know, we are, a, we are a group and there is a group responsibility. And if you're doing something that's going to reflect badly on the rest of the group, and give the press a chance to, you know, give us a negative headline, then maybe not do that. You know, if, if, that, if that happened, uh, I didn't see that. Uh, if that happened, I was said it's pretty stupid. Uh, never, never, bring, never bring a gun or any kind of weapon to these kind of events. That's just plain stupid. That's bad optics, really bad optics. Yeah, I think it's, it's very frustrating because, um, you know, Whatever the law finds relating to this situation, um, I think that we have to hold ourselves to higher standards, basically. Just look at Christopher Cantwell's situation. Yeah, I mean, Cantwell was shown off his guns to Vice. And I, I really wish he hadn't done that. I mean, he was like a kid in a candy shop. He, oh, I got this gun here and I got this gun here. And he really wasn't recognizing that they were playing him for a fool. And they were so excited that he was showing him their guns. So so I'm not into that. You know, don't show up, don't show up to these things with a gun. We're not nothing's there yet. Nobody's getting shot at rallies. Like leave it be. Leave it be. That's my point of view. Well, we'll move on there to the next topic. Um, and we have a few other things that have appeared in the news. Obviously, in a few minutes, we'll move over to questions and answers. Now, we've talked of some pretty heavy stuff tonight. We've talked about ISIS fighters coming back. We've talked about the Richard Spencer situation. We've talked about testosterone and the huge loss of life in the First and Second World War. So let's move on to something slightly lighter. Um, again, we've seen the left plumb the absolute depths of depravity. And... One of these things that you see every now and again, and it's popped up this week. I'll read you the headline. Trans artist collects 200 gallons of urine to protest against Trump. Now, I, I genuinely don't know where these, uh, <laughs> where these guys sort of get this from or how, what was going through his mind. I mean, I often ask what is going through somebody's mind, but, you know, I, I can understand, you know, people don't like certain politicians. You know, I don't like, I didn't like Hillary Clinton. He doesn't like Trump. You know, that's his opinion. He's entitled to that. But how on earth did he think that going to the toilet 
into huge milk cartons repeatedly for what must be quite a while because i mean 200 gallons is, is that's a lot of urine you know he must or either that or he's like literally just drinking water constantly you know like one of these like freaks who's got an obsession and he's like always walking around with like a two liter bottle of water just in case he dries out or it becomes a desert overnight but you know he's obviously becoming the toilet quite a lot and he's got 200 gallons of this urine now um it's also a tranny see i'm not sure whether it's male to female female to male if it's like his bits chopped off i mean obviously that would i'm sure affect the urinating process at some point as well so i mean that's a horrific thought isn't it you, know, you don't want to be thinking about that when you're eating your tea do you you certainly don't um, and these these people, what are they thinking? I mean, how is that an effective protest and how is it art? Because on a serious note, the attack on proper high art is absolutely disgusting. For me, art has to be something that is, on one hand, attractive, which you can say is subjective, but on the other hand, it has to be something that takes great skill to produce. And that's what separates it from something else. Like you might think your child's, you know, scribble or hand painting is lovely because it's your child's, but it doesn't really class as art because anyone can do it. You know, but when you see like the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel, that's art because not only is it beautiful, but only a master can produce it. Art in a way is a product of, it's scarcity, really. That's what that's what helps define it. It's beautiful and it's scarce. But literally anyone can stand with gallon jugs just going to the toilet all day. And this just shows, again, an absolute attack on European civilization, an attack on our values, an attack on art, and also just how debased, vile, and useless the left are and if they think that that's an actual political statement it just shows liberalism leftism it is a mental disorder as is being a tranny well i watched the video it's a it's a eight minute video that hbo did on this artist and you know it's really silly it's really silly <sighs> The artist was based out of Los Angeles and flew 200 gallons of urine to New York City to a gallery there. So this isn't this isn't a gallery in the Midwest. It's in Sioux City, you know, or in Kansas City or Memphis. This is an art gallery in New York City. I wonder why. And it's you know, the person's absolutely talentless. Their idea of art was to they have pictures of themselves. You know, I call it an it because it's not really a male. It's not really a female. It's mo and more so it's a female But this person's idea of art was to get pictures of themselves taken naked There's naked pictures of themselves and they, you know, they've got in some pictures. They have breasts and then uh, you know on their own bodies and then on their own body and then in the next picture There's the breasts are cut off mastectomy double mastectomy and the person you watch the video and she just stands up you know, it's, I, I figure it's got a vagina, so I'll just say it's a she. And she's she's pissing into a jug in front of people. And that's part of the art installation. So, you know, this is a severely deluded person. And Trump, Trump is truth. I mean, Trump is like the messenger. He has come and he's brought the truth. And people are starting to wake up. And everyone's gonna who's really wicked and twisted. I mean, if you're if you're cutting up your sexual organs, you've basically had a spiritual death. You're not coming back. You're so psychologically broken that you're not gonna come back from whatever things you've endured. Their only sort of thing that they can do is just act out 
try to get the attention of Trump. I mean, the artist at the end of the video was saying, I hope someone buys this 200 gallon cube of piss so they can put it in front of Trump Tower. And, but there was like this, this angst in it. Like the person really wished someone would make them rich. Like, oh, it's some, some millionaire would buy this. And it's just really pathetic. But because this tolerance is pushed so intensely it, through modern day psychology, pop psychology, tolerance, 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 we can't push this person out to the fringes of society. In fact, they're getting financed and they're getting housed and they're uh, getting a real platform to say what they need to say. So I say we just deride it. I think um, what you see these people are doing, there's a common theme here. Um, with these leftists, they are constantly doing everything that is disgusting and degenerate. You know, you had this, uh, this uh, what was it, this Hillary Clinton person who was uh, cooking with blood or all that idiotic stuff. Um, you have these trannies who are doing the same things, dealing with urine, poo, uh, menstruation, blood, and so on. I, I just think I read something on BBC. It was just placing yesterday. So there was this new advert out that was finally showing um, realistic <laughs> menstru menstruational pads. <laughs> um, a realistic menstruational advert on TV. Finally, yes, they said on, B on BBC. Uh, and I had this picture of this woman with blood running down her leg. <laughs> and had like this pad with like real blood in it, and and it's like supposed to sell. <laughs> like I think that's gonna put people off. I don't think that's gonna sell very good. I mean, ask any PR guy. I think that's that's bad optics. That's really bad optics. Like, what's next? Like, are you gonna like uh, show like realistic toilet paper? <laughs> like yeah. <laughs> That's it. That's where it's headed. I mean, that's the absurdity. <laughs> You're gonna see these people on sitcoms. It's gonna be like the Modern Family, and then like the demon Bamafet person will come in. Hello, you know. It's just it'll look just ridiculous, and everyone's gonna tune out because everyone this stuff is retarded. I mean, people people are starting to get it. People are tuning out. People are cord cutting. I mean, people are not watching their TV anymore. It's too nutty. Like, actually, uh, do you know this, um, uh, what's it called, uh, Ethan Clean, this A3, A3 guy uh, on YouTube. Uh, he actually did a video about this menstruation thing. You should watch it, it was hilarious. Uh, like, he was, uh, he, he was comparing it to, yeah, he, he, he did like a shot there, like he went into the bathroom, he came out with a toilet paper full of, <laughs> full of crap on it. <laughs> like, yeah, we're gonna have like equal women's menstrual advertising, yeah, we're gonna have equal men's uh, toilet paper hats. <laughs> But I mean, that really shows that these leftists are um, are are doing. I mean, they're really trying to destroy everything. Just they're just trying to bring out everything gross, and that's good for us because that's bad optics for them, and that's going to bring people over to our side. So I would say let them continue with that. Uh, that's going to gross people out that come out to our side. It's basically, these far left antifa gross degenerate people. They are bringing people over to the right, and then we have these neo Nazi fourteen eighty eight guys that are bringing people over to the left. So we. Cut out those guys and you get everyone coming to our side, if you understand what I mean. Yeah. Um, I think Paul Joseph Watson, as cucked as the guy is, I think he did a, quite a good job of raising awareness of, um, you know, how bad the modernist architecture is, if you want to even call it that. I mean, 
there's this French uh, like performance hall. And I think I actually went there like sometime. I can barely remember. I think I went and saw like a ballet there or something. But it's like it's literally a slab of concrete set at a slight angle and it's got like mold all over it <laughs> and it's just a horrible building i mean if you compare it to any of the traditional like opera houses that you'll find anywhere in europe um they're like beautiful and that's part of the experience of going to them right but you're entering these beautiful buildings that are like really ornate and those little statues and everything um compared to slab of concrete you know it's it's very odd but people can trick themselves into thinking that this is high art it's very very odd um but you know i was actually under this delusion myself my grandma total freaking globalist um she would often take me to like the tate modern and it has all this degenerate art <laughs> And I was like, I was always walking around, like kind of trying to trying to think, like, well, none of these pieces of art are particularly appealing or nice to look at or even interesting to look at. But there must be something to them, you know. <laughs> and now I can see that it was just total nonsense. Um, so yeah, it's just a shame that we have to 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 go through this kind of weird brainwashed delusion. Um I, I also wanted to at some point. I mean, it'll stop because it's just a race to the bottom. I mean, eventually they're they're just going to run out of things to do. Mm -hmm. Well, you'd, you'd hope so. I mean, that is the question. When are <laughs> they going to hit the bottom? Because and what is that going to look like? I think we're going to be in for a lot of pedophilia. Um, but to interrupt this not particularly nice topic, um, there's a guy called Edward who says it's his birthday. So shout out to Edward. Happy birthday. Um, Happy birthday, Edward. Yeah. And uh, just returning to the pedophilia topic, unfortunately. Sorry, Edward. Not very nice Not very nice uh, topic we're talking about here. But, um, yeah, did anyone see that report? I think it's 84 children and 100 um, adults have been uh, – well, I think the adults were arrested and the children were rescued from a pedophile ring. And uh, if I remember correctly, it was a three-month-old baby and a – maybe it was a five-year-old child were being sold for $600. Now, I'm not sure if they were selling them for sex or selling them as slaves for those, but whichever case, these are some extremely sick people. What do you think, Steve? Well, it ties in with what I was saying last time, that there are these huge trafficking webs uh, across the world, and particularly based out of port cities. And I guess we can sort of just leave it to the imagination what someone would want to buy a five-month-old child for. It's not, not any sort of benevolent purposes. So this will continue, but uh, I think there is some backbone now in the West. We have Donald Trump in power, and I think other countries will see a shift, and this thing will get blown open. What happens, what happens to a society's children is a is a direct reflection of the health of the society. I hold that very I hold that view very firmly in mind. So I, as much as it's terrible news, I think it's encouraging because there's a pattern. There's starting to to be a pattern where we're seeing more and more people liberated from human trafficking. We're seeing more and more people speak up about it. So things I think I'm I'm optimistic. I'm basically optimistic. I think things will start to improve. So.
Well, we're coming up to about halfway through the show, which is where we move over to your questions. Um, and we have some cracking questions. In fact, we've had some great questions tonight, and we've also got some really good questions that were left over from Wednesday, because for some reason there was just a literally a wealth of superb questions. So I've, I've kept my little question folder open. So if you asked a wonderful question on Wednesday and didn't get it answered, it may well be answered tonight. But let's just have a brief intermission where everyone can tell you where you can find them, because you know, this isn't the only show we all do. We all do our own work and other work. And there's a place where you can find us all. We'll start with Peter Sweden. Where can we find you, Peter? Not at the gym. <laughs> no, not at the gym at all, maybe. But uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at Peter Sweden 7. I'm on YouTube, Peter Sweden. Uh, just search Peter Sweden on YouTube. You'll find me. I'm on Gab as well at Peter Sweden. I'm not, I haven't been on there for, for a while, but uh, I have an account there as well. Yeah, so that's where you can find me. And make sure to uh, to like this video as well, guys. That's good for the YouTube uh, ratings algorithm. So hit that like button on this video. Because I see we have this loads of people watching the video, but only got like a few likes. So hit that like button, guys. Stephen, where can we find you? Well, uh, you can find me in the links uh, below in the description. You can find me at twitter.com slash Steve Franson. You can find me on Instagram. You can also find me on YouTube. My main focus really is self-development. I trained in psychology. I trained in teaching. Unfortunately, it was kind of a use, useless use of my time for a while, but I did manage to learn a few things. And so I do have a strong background in teaching and psychology. So this tends to be my point of view. When I look at things, I really look at you know what's going on with relationships, what's going on with the family, how can people improve, what are people's options, really trying to bring awareness to options because I think it's so good to run down the news, but it, we need to be able to do something about it as well. So, and that's something I've always appreciated from people like Stefan Molyneux. He really emphasizes the personal component. So you can certainly catch me for that. If you're interested in that, you want to be happier, you want to be healthier, come check by my Twitter, come check by my YouTube. I'm always putting up juicy tidbits on there. And of course, you can also find me at paypal.me slash Stephen Franson. Tara, where can we find you? Well, on this channel, of course. Um, but I actually wanted to say, you know, it's actually selfish of me to ask you guys to go and subscribe to everyone you see here in the panel. Because if my channel gets shut down, which is totally a possibility, guess where we're going to be hosting this show? That's right. <laughs> we're going to be hosting it on one of these guys' channels. So. That's why it's a really good idea for you to sub to all of us uh, and follow all of us on Twitter, etc. Because when one of us gets shut down, that's how we're going to uh, resurrect from the dead, isn't it? Um, but yeah, you can also find me on Twitter, link is in description. Uh, that's the main place I am at the moment. So yeah, uh, what about you, Mark? Well, you can find me obviously on YouTube. Um, a lot of people have been asking in the last few weeks what about the Football Lads Alliance? Are they genuine? What are they up to? What are their goals? What are their leadership like? We've had that asked several times, um, actually on this show. And in response to that, I've done my own video on that. 
an expose of the Football Lads Alliance leadership and what they're really up to. I think that's going to be very eye-opening for a lot of people. That's on my channel. You can go and look at that. Um, I think you really would do want to see that, especially if you're thinking of buying their merchandise. Do not, because their leadership are the definition of at best cooked, at worst working to an enemy agenda. You can also follow me on Twitter and add me on Facebook. And my book, The Fall of Western Man, is available as a free ebook. I was discussing with the group before the show started about the book. Um, and if you like it, download it, have a read of it. And if you really like it, you know, email it to all your friends. As I say, it's free and it's presented in that format. So it can be sent on and basically spammed out to anyone who's interested. So, you know, feel free to do that. But now we'll move on with the second half of the show, which is, of course, your questions. Now, this is always a good question. We've had it asked several times before, actually. Um, but I think it's a really important question that deserves being answered more than once because so we're not going to go into massive, massive detail on this because I said it has been answered before, but it's good for all newbies or people who are new to this show because it can help anyone. And this is question. My family holds mainstream political views. How should I talk with them when politics come up in a conversation? They are very sensitive to liberal heresy. Now, that's a really important one. I think the first person who should really answer that is our friend Peter, because Peter often talks about optics. And, you know, I've got my own thoughts on this. But, you know, let's keep this brief because we've answered this one before. But, you know, a couple of minutes from everyone. How do we approach normies? How would we speak to our family if they weren't into our politics? Well, obviously, you have to uh, speak in a way that doesn't scare them. Uh, that's the number one important thing, because if you scare them away, they're not going to listen to you anyway. Um, you have to be family friendly. You have to think, as uh, Bray has said before, uh, is this something I can uh, tell my dad? Uh, or is this, something, is this something I can tell my, my grandma? No, I have to take it um, <clears throat> if it's... Uh, if it's a really sensitive topic, maybe take it, uh, take it a little easy, drop a few hints, be, be proactive. Don't just go straight out, um, you know, oh, I don't, I, don't, don't go and say stupid stuff like, oh, I want to deport all foreigners, blah, blah, blah. No, be proactive. You know, say smart, use, use your brain. Um, that's, a, that, you know, that's, um, that's the kind of thing that uh, can get you banned on social media as well if you just, say stupid, if you just go out and say stupid stuff uh, as well. So this goes for not only with your family, but uh, on social media as well. Um, be smart. Don't, don't go out and write anything that can be considered hateful or anything like that. Uh, you know, be positive instead. Have a positive message. Say, uh, you know, don't say, oh, I, I want to deport all black people. Don't say that. Say, you know, I think we should all have a homeland uh, for for all people. Uh, you know, white people should have a homeland, black people should have a homeland, everyone should have a homeland, you know? You use that kind of uh, reasoning and logic and, and words, semantics and stuff. Stephen, how would you address this to your loved ones? Well, you know, you're going to know best. There's not a one-size-fits-all, but I can talk about sort of some principles of communication and that's that you know it's going to when you introduce material that's uncomfortable in a relationship it's going to cause strain in the relationship because relationships are built around ag agreeableness and enjoyment and some of these ideas around race realism and the Jewish question and stuff like this 
are uncomfortable for people to broach. It's it's hard for them to entertain in their own minds. So you're going to want to lean a little bit into the relationship and understand that you have to use whatever sort of rapport you have with the other person. So this involves the use of empathy. It really involves understanding the other person what sells for them. What do they like? Right? This is how persuasion works. And ultimately, you, you want to help people to understand these ideas, A, for their personal benefit. If you can keep that in mind, hey, this is, you know, this is going to help you. This is going to help you to see the world more clearly. Then you can start to approach it a bit more benevolently. And then B, it really is to help people vote differently. And that's sort of the bottom line. So you're going to have to come up with whatever incentives based on however the relationship is. But, you know, a bit of sugar goes a lot further than vinegar most of the time. Sugar attracts all sorts of creatures. Vinegar repels. So just try to not overwhelm people. Just try to be charismatic, likable, the person that you are when you are at ease. Unless you're eating fish and chips, don't put sugar on your fish and chips. That's all about the vinegar. Tara, what are your thoughts? Yeah, um, well, my family are very leftist. And unfortunately, some of them, in fact, most of them, are the type who will literally blow up in your face if you say anything remotely non-leftist. So, <laughs> I... Uh, well, hopefully you guys know what I'm like. Like, I just say whatever I think. I have a very little filter. <laughs> and uh, that can sometimes be a good thing, but sometimes it's a bad thing. And so I've pretty much uh, kind of unofficially fallen out with many of my family members. I mean, we just kind of basically, you know, save in niceties, but basically have nothing else to do with each other. Um and I feel most comfortable that way because I actually don't want to spend time with people who are advocating for the destruction of my people. That really doesn't make me feel very good. Um, but now I would say there's always going to be someone in your family, maybe one or two or three people. And that's what I've found who are, although at first very hesitant uh, and maybe a bit close to what you're saying, but open-minded enough to consider what you're saying. And eventually, over time, you can red pill them. And that's been my my uh, experience. You have to uh, be very patient and willing to, um, you know, don't expect them to change overnight. Most likely, you didn't change overnight. So don't expect your friends and family to either. You know, you need to... Um, show them compelling evidence over time without pushing it in their faces and don't waste your time on people who don't want to hear about it only speak to people who are open-minded enough to listen that's what i'd say i agree with a lot of what tara said actually um my and i agree with the rest of the panel actually if you're speaking to people and you, you're trying to win them over you do have to work carefully but listen to what people are saying you know there's always a way to approach different people if you're talking to somebody who's got real concerns and they love the countryside and they're like oh my god they're, they're tearing up the countryside why do you think that's happening look at the growth in population which is driven by immigration wow you've linked their issue 
to our issue. You know, they, they come up to you and say, oh, you know what, I'm, I'm really worried about the, the number of girls that are, you know, being forced into this female genital mutilation. So I read about that in the paper. Oh, well, that's, that's thanks to immigration. That's, a, that's an Islamic thing. It's not Western. This problem's only just occurred since these people started coming here. And there's always a way to tap into people's, what people want. And I, I mean, a few of you will know, you know, I made them, you know, I showed my Super Nintendo Mini the other week. Let's say you've got a kid in the family who's a gamer. Well, I know from being sort of interested in gaming and being a gamer for a long time, there is now this huge drive to attack um, things in gaming to the point where leftists are writing that Super Mario is a misogynist because he rescues the princess. I mean, can you think of anything more evil than a than a chubby cartoon plumber rescuing a princess from a dragon? I mean, but these people are actually raising this as a point of serious political discussion. So if you've got a kid in your family and he, you're not sure if he's your, your way and he says to you, you know what, I, I don't like all this nonsense in gaming anymore. You know, why is the main character a tranny in this? You can say, well, actually, look, this is, a, this is something that the left do. They, they take things that sort of straight white males enjoy, you know, and then they... they attack it, they attack it, they undermine it, and they push their filth into it. And that's just a little thing. And somebody's put in the comments, Gamergate. That's, a, you know, they have been attacking computer games just like they attacked movies, just like they attacked the music industry. So you can find common ground with most people. But my final bit of advice is, if you come across someone who won't listen to any sense, that when you put all the facts in front of them, all of the logic, and they're still hostile, distance yourself from them. Do not smash your head into a brick wall, wasting your time trying to convince somebody who is never, ever going to agree with you. Because you will just wear yourself out. You'll wear yourself out mentally and you'll wear yourself out emotionally. And I know people who do that all the time. They're like, Oh, I've been trying to convince my brother-in-law for six years and we argue and every barbie, family barbecue turns into, you know, a battle. Don't do it. Remove yourself from that toxic situation. Always look for people who are receptive to what you have to say because that way spreading the message is fun and you're getting somewhere. Don't waste your time on people who aren't going to buy from you. Think of it like this. If you're one of those traveling meat salesmen who knocks on doors and says, would you like to buy um, a nice juicy steak? If you knock on a door and a guy says to you, yeah, I'm having a barbecue at the weekend and all my friends are coming around and we love steak. Yeah, go in and spend 50 minutes talking to him and sell him some meat. If you knock on the door of someone and says, no, I'm a vegan and I hate meat eaters and I think they should all be interned, you're not going to spend 50 minutes arguing with that person, trying to convince them to eat steak. It's simple marketing. Spend your time with people who are receptive to your message and who are going to buy from you. You are selling something. You are selling our ideology. Um, I think Stephen's got one last thing to say on this, and then we'll move to the next question. By the way, everyone watching this, please smash the thumbs up. We really appreciate it if you'd get our engagement going. It really uh, moves us up in the YouTube algorithm and helps draw people to the channel. So hit that thumbs up. But something I wanted to say is, okay, so let's acknowledge it that a lot of people in the alt-right and you know that are familiar with racialist positions and identitarianism and these sorts of things tend to often be edgelords pushing things to the edge to try to provoke others. And that's all well and good for your own personal learning. 
but it's not a way of reaching your family and reaching your neighbors. So I really do want to stress what Mark said, that you want to find out what incentivizes people, what people are passionate about, and then work the work how multiculturalism and these demographic issues have affected the things they love in a negative way. No one wants to hear about, you know, whether gas chambers, you know, your family, your, your old grandpa across the road doesn't want to hear about how the gas chambers didn't exist at Auschwitz till after the war and that the, the, uh, the crematoriums were actually only in Soviet-held concentration camps at the end of the war. Like, you're, not gonna, you're probably not going to have the grandpa that is going to be open to that. Your grandpa's going to want to hear about how the grocery store keeps having this Indian aisle grow and grow, and he doesn't like that. There's going to be all sorts of different things. So I just sort of mentioned this. We really want to acknowledge that edge lording works for personal learning, and even maybe with your friends, but it does not reach friends and family, you know, people sort of in the more normal sphere of society. Thank you for that. We'll go to the next question. Now, this is a very interesting one. I don't think we've discussed this, but I think it, uh, I think it would be a good one to discuss. Um, Mark, it's addressed to me, but it's obviously addressed to anyone, so I'll start that differently. Sorry about that. Question. Would it be good to support young mothers' education by arranging lectures so they could bring their kids with them to meet other kids of like-minded parents? And would it be possible to start a group that helped young parents um, start homeschooling their children? Now, I think that's a really important thing. Um, and I'm going to throw this straight out there to Stephen because I think he's a man who's going to have a lot to say on that. It's a great, it's an absolutely great idea. And you know a big part of traditionalism I mean, it's the family every the 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 source of health in society is a healthy family so excuse me i have a fly that's really persistent it keeps landing right on my face so if you want to get together and you want to help people parent better parenting is a big job i mean something that i was talking about last our last call was that we don't want to divorce ourselves from economics we don't want to divorce our ideas from economics we want to sell we want to sell, 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 baby. I want to sell race realism. I want to sell honest conversations about demographics. And the same thing goes with the family. If we can tie ourselves to uh, good family values and really encourage people to parent well, parent according to you know, whatever sort of standards uh, are philosophically empirical, the same thing is what we're doing with race realism, with demographics. We're being philosophically empirical and going, hey, there's a problem here. So, so this is a way of sort of bringing home economics into the movement, and that's absolutely vital. So this idea that the listener pitched out there, I think, is a really great one. We want to reach people at all levels. We don't want to just reach the edge lords on 4chan. God bless them. I mean, they're, they're the, the, the cream of the crop, in my opinion, in some ways. Intellectually, they're just a powerhouse. But hey, we got to start reaching, you know, I've got baby boomers across the road. How am I going to reach these people? It's a tough sell. Uh, they're drawing federal pensions and social security. How am I? Oh, well, they got family. Oh, well, they have family values. Oh, okay. Well, this is the wholesomeness that we want to bring. We don't want to be just super sort of directed in one direction and be really clear on demographics and then be total personal shambles in other areas of our lives. So absolutely, this is a, this is a really great question and I would encourage family values. That's the basis of a healthy society. 
I actually wanted to ask um, Peter a question about homeschooling because you've obviously been homeschooled and uh, so have your siblings. And I just want to ask um, for those parents who feel like, oh, I couldn't possibly do the job of eight different teachers, you know, I'm not trained. What would you say to them? And uh, that's bull crap. <laughs> um, no, my parents they did everything. Um, everything else, everything else needed for for me to learn everything I need to learn. Basically, I mean, uh, my dad did maths. Uh, my mom did other other stuff, uh, which I think would be quite natural. Uh, and I think I have quite I have quite a few things to say on homeschooling, to be honest, because number one. It's a really important thing. You have to do it. It's absolutely vital. Um, number two, you have to be in a country that uh, allows homeschooling, which is um, uh, not uh, well, not, not Sweden at least. Uh, so that's uh, Sweden is uh, homeschooling is legal there, uh, as some people might know. And the reason for this is because homeschooling is so important for breaking. Marxist brainwashing uh, that is going on because you know the public schools is the main vital tool uh, of uh, brainwashing people into becoming good little Marxists and socialists. Um, you know because that's how the whole socialist system works. They take the children from the parents. So the state becomes the parents, and the state indoctrinates the children into what they should think. They're breaking the uh, traditional family bond between parents and children and replacing the parents with the state. And that is really detrimental to society uh, because that, yeah, that, that brainwashes the kids into becoming Marxists. And uh, that's a very, very, um, a very, uh, what's the English words? I'm just trying to think in English there. Sorry, guys. Um, that's the main reason. I would say to why we are in this state we are today is because of the public school system. Yeah, I, on the topic of homeschooling, I you know I haven't done homeschooling myself, so I you know obviously I don't feel that I can really uh, you know comment too credibly. But my personal perspective from the research I've done on this and just my own observations is that there's a lot of harm that's done in school, and by simply not exposing your children to that for like. 20 years of their life um they don't incur that harm and when it comes down to it when it, you know when it comes to school what do kids really need to learn how to do they need to learn how to read they need to learn how to do basic math we're not talking trigonometry and things no one really uses that stuff in their adult life uh, maybe a bit of algebra comes in handy um but besides that you know th there's not a whole lot more that kids really a hundred percent need to learn now of course there is a lot that you can teach them you know just by getting a, a map of the world i'm sure you can tell them a lot about the different countries and you know watch a few geographic uh programs etc they can learn a lot um but there's nothing really in school that they're teaching children that a they really need for their adult life or b you couldn't teach your children if you didn't set your heart to it so I think most people are equipped to homeschool their kids, you know, um, and I really feel that, in fact, even though I did go to normal school, I learned so much more 
from what my parents taught me at home, including reading, you know, and I remember spending time teaching my younger siblings how to read as well. And it's not rocket science, it's just not. So I think that uh, people are quite scared of it just simply because it's um, it's not the done thing. Uh, the same goes for home births, you know, when you actually look at the statistics on home births, um, they basically have the same outcomes, yes, plus or minus some things, but basically they have the same outcomes as hospital births. So why are we spending like thousands and thousands and tens of thousands of dollars on every birth when we could just be doing um, home births, which actually, you know, improve certain outcomes, have slightly worse outcomes on the other side. Um, but I think it's like that with homeschooling as well. It's just like, sure, maybe your kid doesn't learn trigonometry, but guess what? They learn about all the little animals that live in the pond next door. So I think there's a bit of a, a balance that goes on there. And I don't think we should be so set in our ways and thinking that the government always has the answer. Um, maybe Steve could talk about that. Well, I'll just say real brief briefly, uh, you know, homeschooling is not scary. Children, you got to know how to feed them, how to change their diaper, and stay tuned in to how they feel. And the same thing is with learning. Hey, if you've arrived to these difficult positions with race realism, the Jewish question, and other sorts of aspects of the alt-right, then you'll have fostered some sort of learning progress within yourself beyond public schooling you can then apply that to young people young people are starving for this if you've read more than a book if you if you went to college and you've read more than a book in the last couple of years i think you're ahead of basically everyone that went to college so i really wouldn't underestimate your own ability to convey concepts particularly to young people you might not be able to convey these things at an adult level and hey that's difficult but you can sort of go bluebirds are blue and redbirds are red and they flock together and that makes some sort of sense that's not so difficult. So conveying some of these things to young people, not so hard. But you just want to have curiosity and, and you'll be fine. You'll be okay. Now, before the next question, I'll obviously give my opinion on this. I was curiously, um, for a long time, I was uh, a little bit opposed to homeschooling because I, I thought that it was very important for children to be around their contemporaries especially in the playground like i know at school i learned as much from interacting with other kids as i did actually in lessons and i think there are life lessons to be learned but it was actually a friend of mine called rachel who changed my mind on this she's got two lovely little children um she's just given birth to the second actually and she changed my mind on this and one of the things that really pushed me over the edges i think i was talking about this the other day on this very show is the amount of filth pushed on children of a sexual nature. Um, the multiculturalism I think you can break away from. I know they're heavily trying to push the all kids have to have a non-white friend because once you're attached to them, you can never morally go against immigration. I spoke about that. But I think the sexual stuff is even more um, damning. I think the sexual stuff is, is really, really... Um, horrendous and they're literally teaching these children at an impressionable age you can be whatever you want you can be you can be gay you can be transgender you can be one of these weird furries that you know you're you're 
other kin where you think you're an animal and you're a wolf trapped in a human body. And the problem is when you're saying those things to children at such an impressionable age, it literally molds and shapes their thinking for the rest of their life because they're not meant to be thinking about sexual topics until they're much older. They are not mentally capable to comprehend those things and it warps their whole mindset for life. And I think that is the major thing for me. So yes, I endorse homeschooling and I do believe um, that the answer to my initial issue with homeschooling about the lack of interaction with other children is that we, I've said, you know, I'm proudly a collectivist, you know, we need to stand together. European identity, stand together. Together we are strong, weak and divided, we're finished. That's the way forward. But it's the same with homeschooling. Nationalist couples who have children need to get together with other nationalist couples. So when you do a school trip to the National Art Gallery to look at art, you go with your friends who are homeschooling their kids and the kids are running around together and a group of nationalist parents are taking a group of what are going to be nationalist children to look at traditional European art and you have then both components of school. You have the friendship, you have the camaraderie, you have the lunchtime play, you have the sports, but equally you are cutting out all that filth. And one final point, I'm pretty sure that I could teach a child more than they are being taught in school because mass immigration is another horrible thing. They have dumbed down school so much because they are lowering all of the test barriers because if they weren't, it would show a huge disparity between children educated in what are white rural schools and inner city schools which have high numbers of ethnic minor minority yeah, children. And that is a huge issue and because of that what you're learning now in school what children are learning now in school is just garbage anyway homeschool your kids get together form a collective and then your kids will have little friends who understand the same value system that they do so we'll move on to the next question we've got some serious ones but we've got a couple of light-hearted ones so the last serious one for tonight um, this is one which was asked by Landon and it's a very good question and Peter wants to attack this first. In fact, he's very eager to get on this one. The question is, Jews have owned banking for hundreds of years. Why didn't they procure Israel long before 1948? Yes, this is an interesting question. And I think uh, a lot of people in the chat is going to, a lot of people viewing is going to like this. I'm going to go at this from a Christian angle. Uh, so, Let's uh, get right into that. I have quite a few things to say here. It's not anti-Semitic to say that uh, Jews disproportionately own banks. I mean, that's just a fact. That's not anti-Semitic anything to say that. That's just a fact of life. Uh, so why didn't they make sure to create their own ethnostate before 1948? Well, from a Christian perspective, this is something none of you guys have probably ever heard of. Uh, but um, I have been quite into... Uh, looking in, um, into the genealogies in the Bible. So if you look, uh, if you look in the Bible, you can, you can see this person was born here, this, per this point, and this person was born at this point, and this person was born like 58 years later, and this person was born 48 years later, and so on and so on and so on. And um, I think if, um, if you look in the Bible, and the genealogies, Abraham, uh, who was the kind of the 
father, the kind of the guy that started this, well, kind of the father to Israel basically. He was the guy who started it all. Uh, he was born in uh, 1948 after creation uh, in the genealogy in the Bible. Uh, and then you fast forward and you see that um, the state of Israel was created in 1948 after the birth of Christ. Uh, so I think from a Christian perspective, there is a kind of a um, history repeating itself. Uh, they are considering Abraham was born 1948 and Israel 1948. Um, it, I think that's quite an interesting take uh, that I wanted to put out there. I don't know how much of you guys have studied the Bible and genealogy there and so on, but that's that's my uh, that's, that's my opinions out there. Tara, what are your thoughts on this? This is a bit of a contentious one. Do you have anything to say on this? Uh, I don't really know about the, you know, biblical version um, regarding Israel and the Jews. But uh, what was the original question? Is that something slightly different? With the moaning banking, um, why didn't they just buy it earlier? Why did they wait till 1948? Oh, um, well, it's very hard to say. I mean... I mean, it does appear that without the support of the US, you know, it probably would have been pretty hard for them to set up Israel, considering that the Arabs might have just um, killed them off, basically, as they were trying to do it. So I think they need, they may have just needed, you know, the support of uh, the West in order to do that. Um, but yeah, Steve, what do you think? Well, I like to call Israel the ultimate welfare queen. <laughs> they, they don't exist without the United States. So once the United States mobilized enough of their military industrial complex, it was a very keen choice opportunity window of time for them to do what they did. So, I mean, that's my basic answer, man. They're just, you know, over there in Israel, they're welfare queens. We want our billions of dollars back. So you, you Israelis need to knock it off. We want our money back. You know, refund, please, refund. Well, all I'll say is this. Why spend your own money and expend your own lives taking a piece of land in the Middle East when you can get the goys to buy it for you and expend their soldiers making sure it's yours? It's really as simple as that. The whole thing in the Middle East has been white people dying for Israel. I've said this before, I did a whole expose on this, how the Iraq war, the war in Syria, how both of those conflicts were there to secure Israel's power. It's a nearly a 30 minute video on my channel. It's more like a little documentary. It's all full of quotes. It's full of actual quotes from people like Tony Blair admitting they had secret meetings with the Israelis before the war. Red pill yourself on it. It's there if you want to watch it. It's full of information. You know, I think we've all given interesting perspectives on this. I think now we've got, we do have time. Somebody's put our greatest ally. Yes, indeed. Um, we've got time for two more questions tonight because that was a, a bit quicker than I thought. So we've got uh, a lighthearted one to end with. But before that, I'm going to pick out another more sort of heavyweight one. Okay. What is your opinion? on the European militias. Does anyone want to open on that? Well, I can't advocate for anyone doing anything illegal. 
that gets me in trouble. But if you guys can have a militia in your country, get it going, get a militia going, get arms trained, uh, get prepared. The situation in Europe is a lot more serious than America. So I'm generally very supportive of it wherever it's legal, right? That's that's sort of how I'm bound, and that's what I can say with my commentary. I'll just jump in there and say I'm not a fan of, um, for me personally, I'm... Um, I believe that we have to do things politically. We have to build communities. I think to a degree, I'm not saying all the militias are, but I think sort of LARPing around in the woods, you know, protect, you know, I, I'm not a fan of it, to be honest. My, my thing is we need to build communities. Now, bear in mind, I'm all about doing it the political way. So don't, please do not abuse my words or use them against me. But whether we win, by the ballot or the bullet, the fact of the matter is we need a cohesive community and we need the numbers. So whether you believe it's going to be solved politically, somebody's putting the thing, you think this mess is going to be solved politically, ha, 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 ha. Well, fair enough. If you don't think it's going to be solved politically, fantastic. That's your opinion. I think it can be. However, whether it is to be solved politically or otherwise, we still need a cohesive community to stand together, whether that is to vote as one or to fight as one. Whichever way it ends, we still need the numbers, we still need the community, and we still need people to believe in our message. So the fact of the matter is, however it plays out, we need to do the same thing, which is build communities. It's not running around in the woods with scary skull masks on, talking about how when the day comes, we're going to do this and this and this. We need to be out there convincing people in our own streets that there is a problem with mass immigration, with Islam, with the sweeping degeneracy. We need to build communities. We don't need to LARP. And I think... I might be on the same wavelength as Peter on this one, so I'd be interested to hear what he has to say. My uh, short answer is no militias, that's uh, bad optics. Uh, and uh, it's quite stupid as well, because that's a pretty good way to get you thrown into prison for uh, terrorism, too. Uh, so, uh, I mean, if you look at history, um, coups, um, like violent uh, political coups like this has never ever really worked. You know. It, even Hitler tried tried it and failed. He was thrown into prison, and then he went the democratic way and actually won uh, democratically. Uh, the only ones I think that ever really, really, at least in a in a modern sense, really managed to do a coup was the Bolsheviks. Uh, they did a violent military coup, uh, but the reason they managed to do that was because there had just been a war and and they all weakened and so on and uh, lots of stuff going on there. But Short answer is no, absolutely not, because you're very quickly, if you do anything militaristic, you're very, very quickly going to be shut down, thrown into prison by the government and so on. So that's absolutely a no, 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 no. And you will scare off all people, and they will think you are this evil Nazi death squads, uh, they will think, uh, which which is absolutely the wrong image. We are definitely not. We, we want the right-wing love squads, not the, not the right-wing death squads, uh, because the right-wing love squad is, is, what, is what's going to get people over to our side, and then we can win uh, democratically 
in 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 the in, in elections. Uh, you know, start up right wing soup. You know, look at Generation Entertainment. They're doing this in France. Uh, they have this right wing uh, uh, love squads kind of a thing where they are going around helping homeless people, uh, soup kitchens, and so on. And I think if you look in Austria, I think uh, the, the election went pretty far right in Austria. And I think we can kind of. Um, on a grassroots level, I think Martin Seller and Generation at the Tower is partly behind it and going around doing activism uh, a lot behind the scenes, maybe, but it's still helping push those on the window and so on in there. So I think you see they're starting to do good work there, uh, do those kind of things, be positive, family friendly. And uh, yeah, because all this Fortin 88 LARPing is, uh, is just, that's just going to get you into prison, basically. <laughs> that's, that's the honest truth. Well, I was critical of Kenwell for flashing off his guns to Vice. And I would give anybody else the same sort of warning. Uh, Peter's absolutely right. You're going to get locked up for any sort of militaristic activity. You know, you signal too hard in a public space that you're ready to cowboy up to go, you know, eh, we're going to we wanna do a death squad, you guys. Come on. And the FBI is going to be writing you. Someone, some guys, me. Oh, I'm from Georgia, and I saw you ready to be a cowboy. So you know, it's actually a, it's an FBI guy in Virginia, and he's just writing you and trying to to hook you into whatever. So you'll show up and buy whatever guns or whatever. So I really don't think that's going to work. Uh, I do advocate for arms training and self defense. It, it gives you it gives you a sort of mental edge. You don't have, you don't need these things to get the mental edge. But I have guns, and I've shot off my guns, and I've gotten better at using my guns. And I tell you, it feels good. It feels good to have this precision. And but you know, maybe you can get that out of gardening, or maybe you can get that out of the making nice soup at your right wing love soup kitchen. So I'm open to always, but I, I do really, I do defer to you guys, Mark and Peter. I think you guys really nailed it on the head. Let's not be tempestuous. Let's not be impulsive. Let's look at the long game and let's win with the argument. Well, does Tara have anything to add on this before we go to the last question? Yeah, I just, um, I wanted to say like, even with uh, communities, you know, this idea of building communities, if you make like an official community and call it like, you know, white utopia, <laughs> we're going to be here and just like housing association, uh, or like um, fenced in area or whatever, and it's gonna be the, the white utopia area, you can 100% expect it to be targeted, to be uh, you know, shown up in every single possible manner uh, you could conceive by the me mainstream media, and to be infiltrated, <laughs> you know? I mean, we don't have to be, uh, we don't have to foretell the future in order to see this kind of thing happening. It happens all the time. So I think the best thing to do is to create informal communities and to personally be prepared to protect yourself and your family. You know, that is your job as a man, period. So it doesn't even matter what kind of time you're living in, but more people need to be prepared in that way. And if it does come down to like civil war, as some people imagine is gonna happen, well, then you'll be prepared. And if it doesn't come down to that, well, then you'll be capable of protecting your family, which is what you're supposed to be able to do anyway. So I uh, I think that the good that can come out of um, such, you know, communities you see uh, forming in parts of, I don't know what they call themselves, but in parts of Europe, uh, where they go around patrolling the streets and things like that, 
I think the main good thing that comes from Boris is actually a group of guys getting together and getting fit. But you can do that with the guys at your local gym. You don't have to join some militia in order to do it. Same with gun training. So get the good stuff, avoid the illegal stuff, and uh, you'll be a lot better off in the long run, I'd say. Well, I echo that. And the final question of the night, which is a, a light-hearted one, it's always good to end on something light-hearted. What's the best pro-white movie? Now, I'm going to throw that out to uh, the group, but I'm going to answer this one first. I'm going to give everyone a bit of time to, um, to think about this, because obviously I get to see the questions before anyone else. I know what I'm going to ask. But the best pro-white movie, and bear with me on this one, is Angry Birds. Angry Birds is unbelievable. It's about a group of birds who live on an island and they're nice and cohesive and they all get on and it's clean and it's tidy. And they used to have like this warrior streak, but the warrior streak has got old and decrepit and they're no longer, they're no longer warriors anymore. In fact, they're told not to be angry. They're told to be calm. And the last angry bird who's the red bird, he basically is told, you know, you're wrong having all this anger. And one day, a group of immigrant pigs turn up. And the pigs, the leader of the pigs, has this huge Islamic beard, this huge Islamic beard. And the pigs start doing odd things. And the red bird's like, no, 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 no. This isn't right. All these people coming here and trying to change our homeland. Oh, the kid, the pig's actually called Mudbeard, which <laughs> says it all. <laughs> Mudbeard. Um, and the pigs start doing odd things. The pigs start doing the takeaways. They start doing the entertainment. They start doing the taxis. Does that sound like any other type of people to you? Um, and eventually, the birds wake up one morning, and what have the pigs done? The pigs have taken all the birds' children, the eggs. Is that a metaphor for the old grooming scandal? Yeah. And the birds realize that the only way they can save their children is by embracing their righteous rage and standing up for their own people. And they get behind the red bird and go on a crusade to save their eggs. It's a really funny film. I was laughing from the very beginning, the very, very beginning. It was really good. It's not overly long. Children will understand the message. It's a good film for all the family. It's probably the most nationalist film I've ever seen. I found it hilarious. And, you know, if you, you know, if you can see it, grab a copy. It's not expensive. You'll have real fun. However, the unthinkable has happened. We've had the $50 donation. So I'm not sure if people actually want me and Peter to take off our shirts and have a muscle showdown. But while the people in the comments decide whether that's going to happen, I'll pass it over to uh, Stephen. What's your favorite right-wing film? Uh, favorite right-wing film. Hey, by the way, we're 20 thumbs up short from 300. So thumbs up drive. Let's do it. Hit the thumbs up. It really helps our exposure. It helps people see us. Hit the thumbs up. We need 20 more thumbs up. So you're watching this. You're engaged. Hit the thumbs up. Scratch our backs. We'll scratch yours. So two favorite. I man. I go okay. I go. I go with one. But I'll just mention Braveheart quietly. Braveheart, always you know, always the best. Braveheart. But then I'd say Conan the Barbarian, the first one with Arnold Schwarzenegger, because there is it's very very Eurocentric, for the most part, and. It is about uh, you know a real barbarian, a man who works up his skills 
but has to use uh, his friends, his companions, his female and a small thief and a priest, and they have to defeat, I think it's Olsa or Molsa, this, this black man with almost blue eyes, and he is the purveyor of the snake cult. And the, the snake is, you know, is associated with evil, it's associated with cunning and lies. So Conan the Barbarian has to go and he has to kill the leader of the snake cult. And he has to do what's right to save uh, a beautiful young woman. And it's a powerful, powerful tale, really cuts in deep at that sort of mythological level uh, for the Western mind. So I would, I would recommend Conan the Barbarian. Peter, while you're deciding whether to take your shirt off, tell us what your favorite right-wing film is. Uh, don't watch movies, they are degenerate. <laughs> That's my answer. Yeah, I That's have to answer. say, like, we were going to watch a, a movie the other night, um, and yeah. it came up on the screen like Miramax, and I was just like, what? wait a second. That's, but that's the company owned by that pervert guy. <laughs> can't watch this movie anymore so yes it, it is a real problem um but that angry birds one sounds really cool i'll definitely check it out i haven't watched a cartoon type show in a long time um yeah when it comes uh, to can, yeah can i just say one that just came to mind maybe tom and jerry okay maybe that's a maybe that's a little bit more just to get the testosterone going perhaps yeah are you wearing a dressing gown peter no. Are you gonna? Are you? Yeah, oh, I said. Uh, I was just seeing if you were gonna disrobe for us. <laughs> Come on, let's see okay. that bicep, Peter. Let's <laughs> see that bicep. So, what do you, are you? Are you going to do shirtless, Mark, or what's the plan here? I don't mind if you if you show your bicep, mate. I'll whip the shirt off. How's that? I I, I promised the chat I would uh, do bicep if they donated fifty dollars. So uh, that's what I'm gonna do. Show it all. Bicep time. Let's see if I can get this. Let's see if I can get this uh, jacket far up enough, or I have to take it off altogether. <laughs> Not sure if I can get this far up enough. It's a bit Let's tight. See it oh, let's try and get this. Up. Oh, yeah, I think we can do it. Let's see if we can get the, get the camera angle here. The guns. This, I'm, I'm left-handed, so I'll do the left arm. Let's see, this guy's it's quite small. Peter does yeah, it's not very big. Pizza. Well, I'm not. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna. Um, somebody's just. Somebody's just donated another fifty to do it, so I'm gonna have to do it. Now. <laughs> <laughs> there he goes. That's on the internet forever now. <laughs> That's it. No one can complain that we don't do topless shows because we do. So <laughs> is that is that what you've been looking to see? Going back, yeah, going back my, to the movies, if you don't mind. I think, I think, I was so just that's $100, Tara. Thank I've you. I've stripped for you. <laughs> I've humiliated myself. Now. But you've got to say it. I am a good sport. At least I did it. Yeah, indeed. At least uh, another, another we were treated yeah. yeah. Thank you, guys. I can tell you're really eager to see these guys uh, strip off for you. <laughs> so... <laughs> Um, yeah, going back to the movies, I mean, I was going to say that um, I think a lot of the 
the star, the ones where they're like going out to stars and things like that, I think that that has inspired a lot of people. I know that even the logo for Alt-Right is, um, it has like, you know, stars in the background and it has to do with how are we going to get to the stars? Well, that's the next stage of our civilization. But if our civilization is uh, ruined by demographic change, that's never going to happen. And I think that's one of the saddest things um, and maybe one of the motivations a lot of people have. Well, there's, I mean, there's a few good films to do with going to the stars. Uh, you have Solaris. You have, oh gosh, I forget the, you know, it's, it's slipping my mind. But uh, I think it's absolutely right. We Our civilization needs to go to the stars. It's the next place for us to go. And if we can just have some boundaries and not be the babysitters of the entire human species, the entire planet, we can have some co coherence in our Western societies and we can leave this rock and see what's going on. That's a very good point, but somebody has raised the issue in the chat. How many dollars for Tara to follow suit? Not happening at all. <laughs> <laughs> very cheeky. No, I think it's been a great chat tonight. Now, we're definitely not doing the third hour because obviously I'm sat here without my top off like some narcissistic monster. So uh, I hope you've all enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to pass it just around quickly to everyone, all the guests, so everyone can say goodnight and um, tell you again where to find them. We'll start with Peter the Bicep Sweden. Yeah, my, 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 my arms is not that big. My upper body is quite small, but as I said before, my legs are, my legs are huge. When I, when I walk, when I walk, it looks like my legs look like logs. My legs are literally huge. So, uh, very strong legs. Next week. That's, next week. That's just, that's just my we'll have yeah, to get the mate hundred dollars next week, and maybe we can see my legs. <laughs> yeah. Stephen, anyway, where can we find? Sorry, okay. Stephen, where yeah, can we can... find you? Yeah, go on. It's the lag here. I think. Well, you can find me. You can find me at twitter.com slash Steve Franson. I love the fitness stuff, so I'm glad that we're all getting excited about this. But smash the thumbs up before you go. Let's get this let's get these thumbs up going, you know. And uh, you can you can catch me also on Instagram and I'm on YouTube. And I'm big on personal development. I think these ideas have to be marketable, they have to be good optics, they have to be you know tied in with economics. I think we can win on all fronts. I think we have great ideas. And the persuasion is just going to come. I agree. With me, as I've said, you can find me on um, Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Please go and like my new video on the Football Lads Alliance. And if you want to see any fitness tips or if you want to see my sort of personal development, I also do that on Instagram. You've been a great crowd tonight. And thank you for those $250 donations. You know, this show is funded by Tara. She puts a huge amount of effort into this. And, you know, I, I really thank you for those donations. I know it was fun. It was just a joke, but I wasn't going to back out when you gave it. And to the guy in the chat that did point out that the Chad, the Chad Brit will always defeat the Virgin Swede. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Nah. And good night. <laughs> we'll have to redo this competition in like one year time. So, Peter, get him a gem. <laughs> um, okay. Thanks, everyone, for listening um remember to share this with your friends if you can 
thanks to everyone for giving us a like. Uh, thanks for those donations as well. That's great. And we'll see you again on Wednesday. And Brie will hopefully be back with us as well. We may have a special guest on that, that week as well. So see you then. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye.